It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. All right. I noticed this. Um, About two weeks ago, the new sheriff in Milwaukee County, actually the acting sheriff, announced that he was going to start increasing the number of uh, patrols. And they, they were going to do the saturation patrol efforts in an effort to crack down on people who were speeding and driving in a reckless fashion on the freeways. I applauded that. Now, I acknowledge that this is a revenue generator. You get pulled over for speeding or reckless driving or whatever. You get a ticket. And while some people don't care about paying tickets, um, many people end up doing it. So it generates revenue for Milwaukee County. But I said, you know, I don't care about that. I mean, the, the amount of people driving recklessly on the freeways needs to stop. A number of people called in or sent me emails saying, Jeff, we understand what you're saying, but what we need is we need cracking down on, on the streets of Milwaukee. And I, I pointed out that I didn't disagree with that, but the reality was there's different jurisdictions. And, and in general, it's the sheriff's department that has control over the freeways, and it's the police department that is responsible for enforcing traffic laws in, in the city, on the city streets. As we have talked about repeatedly on this program, There are many streets in Milwaukee where I frankly do not believe it is safe to drive. Capitol Drive is a classic example of that. How many stories do we hear? And Capitol Drive is a major east-west artery. How many stories do we hear of crashes after people running red lights? I mean, if you drive Capitol Drive on many days, the reality is you take your life into your own hands. It's not just Capitol Drive. There are other stretches of roads throughout the city that people just, I mean, I don't know. The, the speed limit is a, a suggestion, I guess. Red lights are a suggestion. And, of course, this has been compounded by the former policy of the Milwaukee chief of police embraced by the mayor that you do not chase people who are driving in a reckless fashion. This has led to people feeling emboldened. Hey, I blew through a red light at 85 miles an hour when the speed limit is 35. There's a police officer sitting, you know, in the parking lot of the gas station watching me do it. The police officer isn't going to chase me because he's not allowed to do it because you had this idiotic policy that used to be in place that said you only chase people if you've got evidence to believe that the car has been involved in the commission of a felony or something like that, or a violent felony. Well, most times, you know, you don't know why it is that the person blew through the red light at 85 or 90 miles an hour. Now, after being pressured by the Milwaukee Common Council and a number of outside forces, the police chief has backed off, and now Milwaukee police have the authority to chase people who are driving in a reckless fashion. So I think that's made a big deal as well. But still, there's no question there is carnage on the roadways, and this is a situation which has been brewing for a long time. I started to notice a change earlier this week. Um, As I say, Capitol Drive is one of these areas where it is like the Indianapolis Speedway combined with the Wild West. No rules at all. And, of course, so... I use Capital Drive occasionally um, to to get to and from where I'm going to go. If if I'm leaving, for example, our studio, and I want to get on the freeway, well, what I do is I go west on Capital Drive. 
And similarly, if I'm coming from, say, downtown and I need to do things on Capitol Drive, you know, you'll get off on the you'll get off on the freeway off ramp. I have noticed over the course of the last couple days a huge presence of motorcycle police officers um, stationed and, and fair warning. We want people driving, driving safely. Uh, motorcycle police officers stationed, I would say, four or five blocks east of the freeway off ramps on Capitol Drive. And, and, I've, and cars are routinely being pulled over. There is not a time that I've gone by that I think I have not seen at least one officer on a motorcycle and has a car pulled over. So, I mean, I think what they're looking for is people that are driving really fast or people that are blowing through these red lights, but they're pulling people over. Now, that's just this little slice of of, of area. But I thought, hey, that that's good. That they're, they're pulling people over. Well, it turns out that that's not just one little slice of the area, but rather the police chief has finally, 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 better late than ever, gotten around to deciding, hey, I need to crack down on Again, the bad drivers. This is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. After two weekend crashes involving a stolen vehicle and another used in an armed robbery, injured multiple people, Milwaukee Police Chief Edward Flynn announced Monday a surge in traffic enforcement that will extend to the end of the year. The stepped-up enforcement will focus on police district hot spots where violent crime correlates with high volume of traffic violations. Officers will target dangerous driver behavior, such as speeding, driving recklessly, running red lights, and passing on the right, Flynn said, something that has become commonplace and allowed, essentially, for the last several years in the city of Milwaukee. Here's what he says. We'll do what needs to be done to our best to take control of the situation. At the end of the year, the police department will evaluate the surge, including the disposition of citations, arrests, and charges, along with the number of crashes. As of October 2nd, the city had recorded 47 traffic deaths compared with 57 in all of 2016 and 64 in 2015. There have also been about 400 crash injuries injuries this year about the same as the number of non-fatal shootings in the city in 2017 okay 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line my response to this is it's about time now i think that when you talk about quality of life and public safety issues there is a correlation between crime and reckless driving there is a reason why people are driving 90 miles an hour. My guess is at least a portion of the time it's going to be because they're in stolen cars or whatever blowing through red lights. I think, and this is one of the unspoken things in this policy, the change in the chase policy so that the cops now don't just have to let the 16-year-old punk driving the stolen car who blows through the red light at 80 miles an hour drive off and just wave one finger at the police. That, I think, is a positive thing, too. But this whole idea of a surge and concentrating it in, I would say, the high crime areas, number one, and number two, the other areas where this happens a lot, that is where you see the awful driving and the accidents, I think this is an absolutely perfect, perfect, perfect 
use of police resources. And now here's where the police chief also is throwing down the gauntlet. The other question becomes, all right, what's going to happen to the people? What is the DA's office going to do when you catch somebody who's going 85 miles an hour and blows through, you know, the red light, almost hitting and killing people in the intersection? Is the DA's office going to consider criminal charges for reckless driving? What happens when they catch the 70, the 17-year-old the or the 16-year-old juvenile who's stolen six cars when they blow through the red light at 80 miles an hour, and now the police go after them and catch them? What is the DA's office going to do? I think that is a fair follow-up question. But it starts with the surge in law enforcement and traffic offenses, and I think the police chief is doing exactly the right thing. Better late than never. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you support the surge? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 845. This is Jeff Wagner. 848, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I was just telling your call screener, um, I actually stopped driving on the uh, side streets uh, to go to work and to come home from work. Um, because I've had so many close calls, and I've actually had, had people throwing stuff on my car without provocation. Um, it's like the Wild West out there. So now I, I take the freeway to work and the freeway home, a lot less problems. Um, I have to go out of my way a little bit, but it, it's so bad out there. I mean, they go they go right through red lights. Oh, yeah. At, at eight, at, you're, and you're not kidding me, at 85 miles an hour, without they don't care. Right, exactly. And it's speeding, and it's the reckless driving, and it's been going on forever and ever. And I think one of the things is I think the crooks, the criminals, the punks, the car thieves have been emboldened because they know that the police aren't going to do anything. Well, if this is now saying we're going to start doing something, I I mean, look, I I applaud better late than ever. That's how I guess I look at this. And and yes, you're right. I've been behind uh, one of these drivers. He literally drove 80 miles an hour past a police officer right on Bradley Road. And the officer didn't even pull out, didn't even no. look at him. It's yeah. like, are you kidding me? Well, what do you got to do to to get pulled over? Well, I mean, thanks thank to call, Mike. But the problem has been, and I mean, I've talked to a lot of police officers about this. Under Ed Flynn's previous policy, they couldn't chase. I mean, you know, the fact that somebody drives 85 miles an hour and blows through a red light, that was not a basis to go after them. Yeah, because unless, again, you thought, unless you had evidence to believe that the car had been involved in a carjacking or was a bank robber or a crime of violence, they just had to, they had to let the person drive away. That has now changed. Now, again, as I was saying right before the break, here's where I think it becomes a, a key. And this is where you're throwing down the gauntlet. It, it, it starts with traffic enforcement. But then it goes to the DA's office and it goes to the judges. So, all right, you catch the kid driving 80 miles an hour you pull him over after blowing through the red light turns out it's and this is you know this is going to happen it's a 16 year old driving a stolen car then what you need to do is you need to track it what is going to happen to that 16 year old driving the stolen car is the da's office going to charge them are they going to be charged is the da's office going to try to wave them into adult court which they almost never do but the question becomes why not and if the kid goes into the juvenile justice system what exactly is going to happen will the criminal will the judges in the juvenile court system in Milwaukee who have a habit 
of just catch and release who have betrayed the trust of the people in Milwaukee County, will they start cracking down? But it all starts with trying to track these things, and at least it begins with trying to get these dangerous people off the street. And this idea that, well, if they're going to issue citations, people won't pay the tickets. Well, all, all right, if you're driving 75 miles an hour and you blow through a red light and you decide that you're not going to pay the ticket, well, at that point in time, you know, maybe we need to start figuring out things to do. Like maybe that's a basis for starting to take cars away from people or something like that. Let's talk to Chuck in Brookfield. Chuck, you're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Chuck. Good morning. I drive down um, Capitol Drive with my 127th Street every day. Silver Spring, uh, Hampton, mm-hmm. Capitol. They're doing 7580. You know, just what you said, pulling into the, uh, coming up the right, shooting in on traffic on the right. Uh, what took the police department so long to have police speed patrols along these stretches of roads? I mean, how many people were killed, pedestrians killed, and now they first start doing this now? Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree. I agree, but I guess I better late than never. I mean, I look, look, here's the thing. Flynn didn't want to chase that. He had this politically correct image that he didn't want to chase. And what's happened now is it's gotten so out of control that the department is getting all sorts of pressure. People in these neighborhoods have finally said enough is enough. They're calling their aldermen. They're saying, hey, look, we can't pull out of our driveways, you know, without without fear that we're going to get hit by one of these things. Finally, there is enough political pressure. The community is rising up and saying, we demand this stop. And again, I'm with you. This should have been happening years ago. We wouldn't be in the bad situation we're in. But still, I'm I'm 110% in favor of this. Pull these people over. And, you know, when you catch the kids in the stolen cars, send them to jail, for goodness sake. Hey, Jeff, I got a question for you. Sure. Uh, Why, why, with all these light sentences and this this, uh, district attorney's office, the John Chisholm, why hasn't the city of Milwaukee ever came up with a recall petition, uh, recall petition on this guy? Because it's the city of Milwaukee. No, thank. I mean, I don't have a better answer than that. It's 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 the city of Milwaukee, and we just ex in in Milwaukee. Unfortunately, in Milwaukee County, I mean, ask me about the county board. In Milwaukee County, we just accept these these types of of things. And you know, you could ask me about you could ask me about your, it drives me crazy when I hear the mayor coming out and you know whining about, well, you know, we need tougher this is I'm getting a little off topic, but we get we need tougher gun laws out of Madison or things like that. You know, and and, and I don't necessarily disagree with him, but that's not the problem. I mean, the problem is there's all sorts of laws that are out there and what you have is a catch and release system. You have a district attorney that is not aggressive about juvenile crime. And you have a court system which bends over backwards to try to release dangerous people. Now, as I've said before in this program, I think that this starts in Madison. And I do think what needs to happen is because the juvenile judges, particularly juvenile court judges, particularly in Milwaukee, have been so irresponsible over the years, I think you need to start changing the laws. And I mean, I understand some people's heads explode when I talk about this. I don't understand why juvenile records should continue to be sealed. If you are involved in a felony behavior, I think that should be made public. I think if you live in a neighborhood, you deserve to know if the 15-year-old down the street has been involved in burglarizing people's homes or involved in carjackings and for whatever reason hasn't been waived to adult court. Why are we protecting these thugs? I also think there needs to be a degree of accountability. One of the things the police chief always said 
about his chase policy is he say, hey, you know, we chase him. You know, we would put our officers lives at risk. We would put pedestrians lives at risk and then we would catch him and the court system wouldn't do anything. Now, Flynn and Barrett never had the guts to name names and call out people because that would have upset some of their constituents or some of the politically collected connected people in the community. But but that is a sort of valid point. That's why I'm hoping they pull people over. I'm hoping they track this information like they say they are. And then let's see what's ended up happening to all the extra people they're going to catch. But as somebody who does drive around on these streets, who has seen the behavior, and what's so frustrating is this: these people, people that are dying. I mean, how many, how many innocent folks have to die because some 16-year-old driving a stolen car goes 80 miles an hour and slams into the side of that car, and some woman who's on her way to work in the morning, or some you know um, mother uh, or grandmother who's going to meet her grandkids gets hit and killed. At some point in time, we have to take back our streets, and I think this is a good first step. So better late than never, but this surge... And beware, you know, that the cops are, in fact, out there, and I say, good. Now, you can argue about, okay, is this the best use of priorities? But you know what? My guess is, by aggressively enforcing the traffic laws, my guess is they're going to also catch a whole bunch of people who've been doing a bunch of other stuff as well. It's 8.56. Big story number two is coming up. Mike McCarthy doesn't want to talk about Colin Kaepernick. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks begin their golden anniversary season tomorrow night in Boston against Kyle Irving and the Celtics. Ted Davis is courtside with our Buckshots pregame coverage beginning at 610 tomorrow here on WTMJ. Okay, the phone lines are already starting to light up. Um, Mike McCarthy actually gets a little bit unhappy when people ask him about, well, are you going to sign Colin Kaepernick? His answer is no. I'm hearing from people who are saying this is exactly what the Packers should do. First of all, Kaepernick can help them. Secondly, it would make a positive statement on civil rights issues. When we come back after the news, that is the question. Should the Packers, big story number two, be reaching out to sign Colin Kaepernick, given that Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be out for the season? I will tell you my answer right after Jane's news. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, at his news conference yesterday, Packers coach Mike McCarthy is asked about whether or not the Packers would be reaching out and considering signing Colin Kaepernick, given the injury to Aaron Rodgers. Um, Coach McCarthy, this is his response. Did you just listen to the question I just answered? I got three years invested in Brent Hundley, two years invested in Joe Callahan. The quarterback room is exactly where it needs to be, okay? We're fortunate to have a great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. We're committed to the path we're on. We need to play better as a football team. So in other words, he's saying, stop asking me about this. Colin Kaepernick not coming to Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is our quarterback for the future. You know, he's coming back. It's not like his career is over, whether it's this year or next season. We don't need to make a long-term commitment. We've got Brent Hundley, who we have been grooming for this for the last few years. We've got Joe Callahan, who we've been grooming for the last few years. Colin Kaepernick is not coming here. Now, if you watch the national talking head shows, there's a number of people. I, 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 was, just, I was screaming at the TV saying, Mike McCarthy's first call should be to Colin Kaepernick. Well, okay, it's not. 
not going to be to Colin Kaepernick. Now, Colin Kaepernick is claiming that, you know, the NFL is colluding against him. As we talked about yesterday, my point is, I mean, first of all, first of all, I don't know that he's that good. Secondly, he doesn't necessarily fit into all the systems, and I don't think he'd be a good fit in Green Bay. He would be short-term anyhow. And the other reality is he has made himself a political hot potato. While there are some fans, and I, I hear from some, who say this would be a – Colin Kaepernick – honestly, somebody sent me a text yesterday saying Martin Luther King, Gandhi, and Colin Kaepernick. And they were not being sarcastic, Rue, who's producing the show today. They were not being sarcastic. That's what they were saying. I mean, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, and Colin Kaepernick? Give me a, a break. Um, but but regardless, because of the positions he's taken, he has made himself a controversial figure. And, I mean, I think that in and of itself, I mean, I think should give the Packers cause. I mean, do you want all the distractions and the problems that's going to come with him? But Mike McCarthy, he's just saying from a football perspective, it doesn't make sense. All right. Should the Packers reach out? Should McCarthy reconsider? Should he go to Ted Thompson and say, Ted, pick up the phone, call Colin Kaepernick, let's get him into Green Bay? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dennis in Sussex. Dennis, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. Yeah, they're not going to call Colin Kaepernick, and it's for one reason and one reason only. I'll get to that in a moment. As a GM, you're looking to put together a team not because of – of what they have for political views or their social concerns. You're looking for talent, especially as it applies to your offensive or, or defensive schemes. Right. Okay. But you're, primarily you're looking for a team of people with a singular focus, mm-hmm. and that is to win games. So, so sometimes you're not even taking the best talent. And we, we saw that with Herb Brooks. As he didn't look for right. the best hockey players. He looked for the right ones who were going to win a championship, who had that focus, and they did that. And that's what GMs generally try to do, too. They want one group of people focused on winning the Super Bowl. Right. And the reason why they're not going to get Kaepernick is because he is a distraction. Distraction, right. He, he would, There's no question he would be a distraction. That focus. And it's the same reason why they didn't get Randy Moss when Britt pleaded for it, and when they didn't get Terrell Owens when, they were, when he was pleading right. for it. You know, they were distractions. There isn't even a precedent for this. Right, and, and I think, and and I think with Kaepernick... political view. Right, and nothing. I think the question with Kaepernick, too, you're right, number one, he's, he's a distraction. Number two, you are in the middle of the season. It is a complicated offense, Correct. and he's essentially a, a running quarterback that doesn't necessarily have the type so of arm. he doesn't fit the offensive schemes either. Right, so you bring this guy in, you bring this guy in, it's going to take weeks to get him up to speed, and, right. and it's going to be this distraction. Now, you put this all together, and bringing Colin Kaepernick to Green Bay would be a disaster on all exactly. sorts of fronts. No, thanks. Exactly. I, I, and, again, and again, it's is part of it. Now, is the fact that he is a distraction in part because of the, the positions he've taken? He's taken. Yes, it, it is. But that's that. That's kind of what comes with the territory. Like I've said, this isn't to me. This isn't collusion. It is. I mean, I, I think it is legitimate concern for a general manager or a coach to say. 
all right, what what can we reasonably expect at this point in the season to get out of this guy versus what's going to end up happening if we bring him in? Are we going to alienate a part of our fan base because of positions he's taken? Are we going to have people boycotting the games? Are we going to have this outrage? Are we going to have this, this media circus surrounding the team when all we're trying to do is figure out how to beat New Orleans next week and Detroit in a couple weeks? 414-799-1620. Roger in Whitewater. Roger, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, I think the uh, true answer, too, is to let Brett play humbly and see what we have, because his job is to be the backup. So let, let's let him be the backup quarterback, see what we've got, and you know what? If he flops, well, we know what we have to do in the draft, and right. he has to be replaced. Uh, but, you know, I don't think so. I think he'll do fine. Um, and worst case is, okay, he does great. We've got a, a good backup or or he's got value on the market uh, to go to another team. Yeah, I mean that that's what I mean and that's what Look, I, I'm not saying that Brett Hundley is going to be the, the second coming of Aaron Rodgers, but that was part of the thing. They drafted Aaron Rodgers, and then what they did is they sat him behind Brett Favre, and they watched him develop for a couple years. And then when Brett Favre, when they thought you know it was his time, we had that whole fiasco with you know moving Favre on and retirement and all that type of stuff. But again, it was that draft and develop philosophy. They, they just, as a general rule, unless they're desperate, they don't bring in people from the outside. And I don't get the sense that Mike McCarthy is desperate right now. And even if he was desperate, I'm not sure that Colin Kaepernick would be the best guy. I think maybe you reach out to somebody like Tony Romo, try to get him out of retirement. But they're not desperate. They want to go with what they have. It's not, it's not fair to a young man to put him in his position to make his job even that much more stressful based on, on the distractions. Yeah, no. Let, no, let yeah. him do his job. Yeah, thanks for calling. No, I'm, you know, I, I'm with you. You know, I, that's just kind of, that's sort of how this is. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, text from Brookfield. If you want to reach out to Kaepernick, then what is the point of draft and develop? This is the reason why we have a backup quarterback. Um, let's see another text. It would be counterproductive. He wasn't all that great, anyways. Maybe a more appropriate candidate here. It's just what I said would be Tony Romo, as he has local ties and would generate a lot of excitement with the fan base. Yeah, and but again, I'm not, I'm not convinced that. I'm not convinced that they're even in that that much of a desperation mode. And I guess it, it's look losing Aaron Rodgers is a huge blow. Let's let's not let's not try to sugarcoat it. But I guess the question becomes: Could you bring in somebody off the street who doesn't know the system? A guy like Colin Kaepernick, who hasn't played all season, didn't go through training camp. Could you bring this guy in and expect that all of a sudden he's going to be the guy that leads him to the Super Bowl coming in in the middle of the season? I think that that's unrealistic. I mean, keep in mind, the guy was a backup quarterback. I understand he took a team to the Super Bowl a few years ago, but he's regressed. He was a backup quarterback on one of the worst teams in the NFL, and that's going to be the savior? I mean, give me a break. Let's talk to Rich in Janesville. Rich, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, just two quick points. One, go off what you were talking about, because uh, Kaepernick last year, um, when he did get a chance to start, he started in 12 games last year, and he went 1-11. Yeah. So, granted, you said not a good football team, but still, even with, like, Sometimes the struggles that the Packers have had with injuries in that, Aaron still t- tends to overcome that. Yeah. 
Um, and then the other right, point, yeah, what about Colin Kaepernick makes people think that suddenly he's going to come in and, and give them a better chance to win than they have with Joe Callahan or Brett Hundley? I mean, really, I mean, it's it's kind of a crapshoot. At least these guys know the offense and have worked with the players for the last couple of years. Right. I, 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 I've heard people say, well, he's from Wisconsin, he's from Milwaukee, and... And um, and I don't know if they're still going back to when Kaepernick beat the Packers years ago. I don't know. But, yeah, to go off on your other point that you're trying to make before, trying to bring somebody in that doesn't know the offense, we tried that a few years ago the last time Aaron got hurt. Yep. We had all these people in preseason, then the Packers got rid of them, and then they were trying to bring in people that didn't know the system until we finally got Matt Flynn back who knew the system. Right, right, exactly, and and they ended up winning a couple games. No, thanks to call. I mean, I understand McCarthy's frustration, and I, I understand that there's people who want to see this position and this whole thing being made into sort of a, a political statement at all. I think the Packers are just all about winning football games, and I think for a variety of reasons that we've talked about this morning, they've just concluded that they have as good, if not better, a chance to win football games with with what they have. Um, so Colin Kaepernick, I understand you're filing the grievance. understand that you think that there's collusion. I think from your perspective, it's just simply a fact that, number one, you want a lot of money, Number two, you're not that good. And number three, you have made yourself into a political hot potato. That's your right to do it. But there are consequences that come from that. And one of them means that, you know, maybe there's a lot of general managers out there who just don't think you are worth what would be the hassle. Big story number three is coming up. What was President Trump thinking? It's 919. Stick around. 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in, oh, about 14 minutes. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, just sent out this tweet. A controversy involving Delta Airlines. Um, a, a passenger woman said that she wanted to sing the national anthem on a plane. Now, you might say, why would you want to sing the national anthem on a plane? Actually, it's a very, very interesting story. And she had a very, very compelling reason. Delta said, no, we don't want to offend other people. It's a fascinating story. And she made a video of this. Um, I will play the audio. It's about six minutes. But if you want a head start uh, and you follow me on Twitter, I just sent out a link to the story and a link to the, the video that we're going to be playing the audio of. So if you follow me, at it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Sent that out just a couple of minutes ago. But we're going to be talking about that in about 15 minutes or so. Right now, big story number three. I just I, – I just – it seems like every day there is another self-inflicted wound with, with President Trump. And I understand that there's some people out there that just think Donald Trump, President Trump, is the Antichrist. And there's other people who think that he can absolutely do no wrong. And I've kind of carved out this position in, in the middle, which is where I will applaud him when I think he is doing the right thing. And I think a lot of the policy stuff that he is coming down with is Actually, it's the right thing. It is following the law. A lot of people are upset that he's threatened to cut off the Obamacare subsidies. Well, the truth is, the Obamacare subsidies are unconstitutional. They are. That, you know, the the president just can't simply say, we're going to start throwing all this money at these insurance companies. That is something that Congress has to do. It's the same thing with the dreamers. You know, um, President Obama essentially, out of whole cloth, 
created this exception to immigration law for 800,000 people who came into this country um, when they were, were children. All right, well, regardless of how you feel about the policy involving the Dreamers, it's unconstitutional. The president is not the king. President Obama did not have the authority to do what he did. And so President Trump is saying, hey, this is a congressional matter. Trump is right. What, whatever you think the policy should be, Trump is President Trump is absolutely right that this is not within the power of the executive branch alone. So he does this stuff, and I understand that's sort of nuance, and it gets lost with people who don't care about the Constitution and don't care that we are a country of laws, not a country of men. But, I mean, Trump, President Trump is right when it comes to that. So I think he's right on a lot of policy things. At the same time, for the love of God, I do not understand why he just goes off like a loose cannon and says some of the things that he says. Because, number one, when he does some of these things, it feeds into the people who hate Trump. Oh, this guy is irresponsible, he's dangerous, he's reckless, look at what he said. And secondly, it just gets him off message. So yesterday, um, he's having the, this this press conference, and um, he's... In some cases, he's at his best, and in some cases, he's at his worst. What what I think the president needs to learn is that when you're the leader, it's one thing if you're a New York real estate developer, and you have a, a press conference, and, and you can you can be big, you can be bold, you can brag, you can be all over the map. When you are, when you are the leader of the free world, when you just start saying things off the top of your head, a lot of times it's going to create issues. So, I mean, here's what happened. There was, of course, the, the other, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you had, about two weeks ago, you had the, the killing of four green berets in an ambush in, in Niger. Um, and somebody asks President Trump about, you know, why, why haven't you spoken publicly uh, about this? And he takes offense at that. You know, he says, okay, because the implication is that you're insensitive or whatever. And I understand it was a gotcha question, and they were trying to make him feel uncomfortable. But but rather than simply, like, answering the question, he, he, he says he'd written personal letters to the families, and he planned to call them in, in the coming weeks. Okay, that that's fine. Then... He says, if you look at President Obama and other presidents, most of them did not make calls. A lot of them didn't make calls. I like to call when it's appropriate. So he kind of gratuitously says, hey, you know, Obama didn't do this. George Bush didn't do this. They didn't call these families. Well, that's just not true. It's just it's just he says it. It's not true. And of course, you understand how President, former President Obama and former President Bush um, but the implication is, hey, I, I'm more sensitive to these families. Look, I'm going to at least call them at some point in time. And, and their their aides and all are going, this is just this is just not true. Um, you know, how dare he say something like this? And then this becomes the story. I mean, the headline in the New York Times, Trump falsely claims Obama didn't contact families of fallen troops. Well, um, it, it's it's just it isn't true. But this is the headline. Trump says president is on seat. This is uh, Trump. AP. Trump says predecessors didn't honor fallen, you know, um, heated response. Well, yeah, I mean, I understand why you get this kind of heated response to this. Trump, uh, this is USA Today, Trump makes false claim that former presidents didn't call families of slain troops. And, And see, and that's the headline, and that's the story, and that's the takeaway, because he just said something off the cuff 
um, in response to what he thought was a, a challenge. And again, now we're kind of off to the races on this. So this is big story number three. I, I don't know what the ultimate significance of this is other than the fact that you have a president who needs to discipline himself better. To me, this is a classic example, again, of this lack of, of discipline and this just, I'm going to say the first thing that comes into my mind, whether there's a basis for it or not. And again, I'm not sure how big a deal this is, but this is the story of the day. Trump is a, Trump is a liar, makes these false claims. And again, I, I understand why President Obama or President Bush um, would be upset about this because the implication is they didn't reach out when, you know, people lost their lives, and that apparently does not appear to be true. Again, it's it's just something that interferes with the substance of what the president is trying to accomplish. And if I were to give him any advice and he were to listen, my advice would be, again, discipline. Figure out what the message is. You don't need to just say things because you think that they're going to be, I don't know, clever or you think that they're going to distract people because you're the leader of the free world. You're going to be fact-checked on everything you say. And if it turns out that what you say is false, you're going to get these headlines and this is going to be the story for the next day instead of health care reform or tax reform or whatever. 929 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ it is an amazing it's an amazing audio and amazing video if you follow me on Twitter I sent you a link we're going to play it in just a couple minutes and then discuss it's 929 it's 936 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ all right I'm going to let this woman tell her own story but but here's the bottom line um, th- this this woman um, this her name is Pamela Gaudry she is she's a doctor medical doctor she's a um, OBGYN based out of Savannah, Georgia. She is on a flight Saturday, Delta flight from Philadelphia to Atlanta. Um, what happens is the on on the flight. We were talking earlier about these the, these four Green Berets who were killed in an ambush in Niger. The remains of one of these. Green Berets is is with an honor guard and is being transported on on this flight. And so the the pilot comes on and says we we have that we have the casket, we have the honor guard and he, he says, "All right, once we land, we would we want everybody to stay in place while the the honor guard removes the casket." So that that's kind of the backdrop from this. Like I say this lady not some not some crazy lady at all. She's a physician in Savannah, Georgia, who's on this flight. This is a video she makes, and the video has her. She's standing. Um, this is after this has all happened, and she's standing like in the airport. She's got the the camera focused on her. She is telling her story. It takes about six minutes, but rather than me telling it, I want to let you hear it from her. This is Dr. Pamela Gaudry. Hey, my name is Pam Godry. I am a physician and um, I am the wife of a deceased Navy captain and not who died in the line of duty. And he gave 20 years of his life to the Navy. Um, I just did the most uncourageous thing in my life today, and I'm sharing it, and I hope that somehow it gets to people 
all around and even the president. So I was on a flight from Philadelphia to Atlanta today and we had a deceased soldier who was also accompanied by his best friend, um, a man in uniform. And the captain came on and asked if we would all remain seated while the soldier got off the plane first and while the honor guard took the deceased soldier out of the plane, which was great. I had an idea, it was just one of those um, spontaneous ideas that it would be so neat when this soldier stood up and while the honor guard was going off, taking him off, that we should sing the national anthem. And so I went around to each seat and I asked if people felt comfortable doing it, if they would join me. And most people were thrilled out of their minds and several women cried and said, you know, that's so beautiful. And, and I had so many people come up to me and say, you know, we should make a habit of this and this would be great. And, you know, it's a great honor to the boys' parents um, and wife and perhaps children. Um, anyway, I went to every seat and some people said fine and others didn't want to do it, which was fine. I just said whatever you feel comfortable doing. And um, after I sat back down, it, it was apparent that the plane was starting to descend and the chief flight attendant came up to my seat and she kneeled down and she said, uh, it is against company policy to do what you're doing. And I said, the, the national anthem? And there's a soldier on board? And she said, yes, you cannot sing the national anthem. It is against your attention, please. company policy. And I said, well, I just told every single person on this plane that we were going to do it. Are you going to tell them not to? Because I'm not. I'm not going around and telling them not to sing. Um, but they did make an announcement that we were to stay quietly in our seats and be very quiet. And um, she did not tell the rest of the plane that this scene, the national anthem for this soldier was against company policy. Um, she told me that several of the people on the plane were from other countries and that they were uncomfortable with us singing the national anthem. So the soldier got up, they whisked him out very quickly, which I assumed would happen when word got out to the flight crew that we were going to do this. And we all sat in silence as the honor guard took the soldier off the plane. I was a little scared that I would be taken away by, I didn't know what would happen to me if I started singing, but I'm humiliated by my lack of courage to sing the national anthem in my own country on American soil. With a deceased soldier on the plane. I wish I could have been an example for my children. Uh, 
I'm glad my husband, my former husband, is, is deceased because he would have been profoundly disappointed in me. And I can tell you that um, having been in Vietnam and saved a lot of people's lives there, um, he would have been horribly disappointed in me. So, I just wanted people to know that this happened. Obviously, I'm still in the airport and um, disheveled because I've been flying all day and emotional because this happened. Um, many people on the plane were upset and they said, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray that this will be... And it goes on, but you you, you, you you get the idea. I mean, the, the lady is telling her story. There's and, and this is one of the soldiers who's killed in the ambush in Niger, and he's there with the honor guard. They, they announce that. She wants to recognize this when the plane lands, want to sing the national anthem. The folks at Delta say, no, you're not going to be allowed to do that on the plane. Um, we have passengers from other countries who would be uncomfortable with you singing the national anthem as the soldier is taken off the plane. And one of the reasons I wanted you to hear this lady's video is because, again, it's an extremely heartfelt type of thing. And she's, this is a confessional. She's saying, I am ashamed. I, I, I was afraid I was going to be arrested or something like that. I gave in. I didn't do this. We did not do this. And I'm really sorry I did. All right, for, I did. I didn't do what I thought was the right thing to do. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was Delta right in telling this lady, no, do not do this. Passengers from other countries are on the plane. They might be uncomfortable with you singing the national anthem. 414-799-1620. My comment, shame on Delta. But we'll discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 945. This is Jeff Wagner. 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. Here's one of our texts. Delta sucks. What a disgrace. Too bad if foreigners are offended that we are honoring our own. Our soldiers are keeping everyone safe that enters and reaps the rewards of our country. I'm sad she lost her courage, but most people would have done the same. I wish I had been there because I would have stood by her and started singing. Um, yes. Uh, um, I, you know, let's see. Uh, here's another text. This is from Tim. Ma'am, we're sorry, but there is a former quarterback from San Francisco on the plane who's offended by the national anthem. And because he can't remain seated and buckled while kneeling, we'll have to ask you to refrain from any show of unity. Yeah. I mean, OK. And I mean, I give this lady credit. I mean, she's she's like, hey, I, I, I chickened out. They told me not to do this and I gave in. But really? I mean, you've got the remains of this soldier. We thought, as we're sitting there, as they're taking the honor guard out, what better way could we honor them? But Delta told us not to do this. 414-799-1620. Kevin in Brookfield. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Love the show. Thank First you, sir. of all, Delta needs to check the flag that they fly under, which I believe is American. Um, second of all, I've had the privilege of living in several countries around the world, Japan, Mexico. I've spent a extensive time in Brazil, Argentina, whenever they play their national anthem, I honor it. Sure. Because I was taught to do that. It's re- 
ridiculous to think that people are offended by our national anthem. Or would be uncomfortable also under the circumstances. It's not like she's just trying to organize a group sing. It is as the honor guard is leaving the plane to take this man's remains off the plane, let's sing the national anthem. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, Kevin, when you consider the context, it makes it even more compelling. When I first saw the story, I was thinking, did the lady just want to, like, like lead the, the plane in the national anthem? Well, I could understand that you don't want sing-alongs, but that's not what this was. This was uh, the honor guard. I mean, there was a purpose behind this. I'm offended by Delta. Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, see that, I mean, again, that, that's, that, that's it. I mean, if, if the idea is, do we want people standing up on planes and, and leading sing-alongs? Well, well, no, I, I get, I, I understand that, that perfectly. But once you hear the context of this and what she was trying to do while they're all, well, after the plane is landed, as the honor guard is leaving and as the remains of the soldier are leaving, sing the national anthem in honor. And you've got the pinhead flight attendants and apparently the captain at, at this Delta Airlines who, I mean, and I understand, I mean, their poli- Delta says, well, our policy is doesn't specifically prohibit singing the national anthem. Well, no. But there's no common sense that's being exercised here. And I, I think, yeah, you know, shame on Delta. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Robert. Uh, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi. What do you think? Uh, well, I think Delta was wrong uh, with uh, – I might get a little emotional. Uh, with my dad being in the airport – and my grandpa being in the army, um, where if, I don't know where he was, where the National Guard had him, and that when they would have came up instead of singing, I would have all the other people stand up mm-hmm. and salute them. Yeah, I mean, right. The thanks. I mean, well, it's I, again, it's all about context, and and here it is unfortunate. And it's also what I guess bothers me even more about this story is it's not like the flight attendant goes to her and say, says, I'm sorry, ma'am. We understand this is well-intentioned, but our policy is that, that we don't allow anything like this on the, these planes because, again, if we let you sing the national anthem, then, you know, what about somebody who wants to lead some other song or something, so we just don't allow that. But that's not what she said. She said, the reason we are doing this is we have passengers from other countries who have said that they would be uncomfortable if you sing the national anthem. Well, what the, you know, what is that all about? I mean, really, you're uncomfortable with that? That's my response. Okay, Wagner's rule of life number one, life is tough, get a helmet. I mean, seriously, if you've got somebody who's on this plane from Philadelphia to Atlanta, who's from France, and, you know, they're, they're offended that Americans are singing the national anthem to honor an American soldier who lost his life, well, then it's, hey, you know, you're the one, it seems to me, that's got the problem, and you really need to get over this. Um, let's talk to Adam in Milwaukee. Adam, you're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, this is really one of those issues where it's, it's going to be very difficult for people to speak objectively about it because, you know, there's a lot of emotion, a lot of feelings. Of course, the reasoning, absolutely agree with you. The reasoning is just completely idiotic, makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to offend people that are from the United States. But speaking objectively about this, 
And I'm not saying that Delta is going to win any points in the court of public opinion. And I feel like airlines these days are set on creating as much malice towards their company as mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen this type of thing. But speaking objectively, Delta has every right uh, to um, basically uh, regulate people's behavior mm-hmm. while they're on their planes, on their property. Hey, so, hey, but, as I, uh, but as I often say, Adam, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And again, if they, in this particular case, if the flight attendant had said, I'm sorry, we just have a company policy. We do not allow people to say, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we don't sing happy birthday. You know what I mean? And, and I understand this is different, but their, their policy is they don't want people singing on the planes. I, I at least, that you might question whether they should make an exception. But what the flight attendant said is, no, this is why we don't want you to do it, because it might offend some people. That's what I think is just the, the height of idiocy. Absolutely, I agree. I really think that the, the flight attendants didn't know what to do. They couldn't think outside of the box at right. that moment. And I think they sort of just scrambled to come up with reasoning. And, and like I said, I agree with you, and I think that Delta is probably going to experience uh, – a lot of people that aren't going to fly with them if, if this really if this story really picks up. Um, yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. And again, this is, um, okay, now here's a different perspective. I am a widow, and the last thing I want when my beautiful husband is being carried home in a box is some strangers having a sing-along, yes, yeah, or loud patriotism. Why not respect the somberness of the moment? Isn't it possible that Delta was honoring the policy and tradition of bringing home bodies? No, I'm not, well, that's not what Delta told her, though. I mean, first of all, I, I just, I think that's a peculiar approach. I would not take that particular approach. This was a way of honoring the soldier in service. But, again, if that's not why Delta told the woman, you can't sing that. You can't organize the, this, the singing of the national anthem. It wasn't because we don't think that that's appropriate for the sovereignness of the moment. They told her it's because we have passengers from other countries on the plane and they might be uncomfortable. That is what they told her. And if that's the justification for not doing it, I think that's crummy. It's nine fifty-five. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A new report indicates that drug companies may be making it harder for the DEA to slow down the opioid crisis in America. Is this true? And if so, who's most at fault for it happening? Scafidi and Bill Stat debate at 235 today. Check them out. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, what is going on in Las Vegas? Would you go? friend of mine says, ah, she's not comfortable. We're going to talk about that. Bo Bergdahl pleads guilty. And America's Dairyland may be on the way out. That is all coming up. Stick around. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner. Let me just share with you an email I received from one of our listeners, Luis. Delta Airlines could have handled the situation involving the remains of the fallen soldier being transported from Philadelphia to Atlanta in this way. Instead, they said, nope, 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 no singing, no recognizing this because we don't want people from other countries to be offended. Here's Luis's email. Jeff, on a recent trip, I was about the 15th to board the plane. Sitting in the front row was a highly decorated soldier in dress blues. A flight attendant was kneeling by him with her hand on his shoulder. She got up, and I noticed a folded flag on his lap as I passed. I sat about six rows back. Minutes later, a young soldier boarded in full camo. He headed to the back of the plane. It looked like my son. We took off, and the captain came on to tell us it was the flight crew's distinct honor to be bringing a fallen soldier's remains home to his final resting place. It really got your attention. The plane was silent. 
When we were about to land, the pilot came on again to ask passengers to remain seated and to allow the fallen soldiers' escort off the plane to perform the service. I couldn't see what was happening because I was on the opposite side of the plane, but I could see the flags slowly move from window to window across the tarmac and could hear passengers crying. They started to play Amazing Grace over the public address system, and it was beautiful. The pilot then came on to thank Carol. She was the rear stewardess that decided to sing Amazing Grace over the intercom. I deplaned, made my way to the window of the terminal in just enough time to see the tail end of the service. The fallen soldier is three escorts, stars and stripes, police cars with red and blues, and all airport employees standing in attention. Then I heard a thunderous sound, an F-16. It flew across around 100 feet off the deck right in front of us, then turned up hard with a deafening roar straight up to the heavens. I stood there almost unable to breathe, mouth open and tears in my eyes, just watching, stunned with everyone around me. My trance was broken a minute later by clapping that grew louder and louder behind me. I turned. The young soldier was coming into the terminal from our plane. Everyone parted and applauded him. Literally everyone. It was a movie. It was like a movie. His ovation lasted from one end of the terminal to the other. One of the most incredible moments I have ever experienced. And that's uh, Luis, who lives in Waukesha, shared that with me. Yeah. I mean... That's one way an airline could handle it, or you could handle it the way Delta handled it on Saturday. No, we have people from another country, from other countries who might be on the plane and might be uncomfortable if, you know, we were to sing the national anthem um, or Amazing Grace or whatever. Yeah, Delta might have had a right to do it. I think they ended up doing the right thing. Uh, they did. They did not do the right thing, um, even though they might have had a right to do it. All right, I want to. I want to switch gears. I was at dinner last evening with some very dear new friends, old, old friends of my wife, new friends of, of mine, and I enjoy them. I enjoy them greatly, and they know that one of the things I like to do in my spare time is I have been going to to go to Las Vegas, and I have been known to. Oh, bet on a pony or two or something like that. I, I, I'm i a Vegas guy. I, I go to Vegas, oh, a couple times a year, typically around shows that I want to see. But I hang out in the sports book and bet horses. I, I have a lot of fun doing it. A couple days in Las Vegas is enough for me, but I, I do enjoy going. Now, um, the it was a husband and wife that we were with, and um, my, my, my friend, um, she, she has been known to go and pull a slot machine handle or, or two. And I, I was saying, and we, Fran and I, my wife, we were talking about how much we enjoyed our last trip to Vegas and how, you know, we're, we're looking forward to going back at some point in time. And we said, hey, you guys should really, you know, you should come with us. It, you know, it, it, it'll be fun. We can go see shows. We can do all these type of things because I, I really, I love this couple. They're just, just great. And, and actually, the, the lady, she said to me, well, do you think it's safe? And I said, well, yeah, I, I think it's safe. I mean, I, matter of fact, I think Las Vegas... Right now, if you're looking for a vacation spot, I think Las Vegas is probably about as safe a place to go as there is in the world because this is a city that depends on tourism. And the last thing you need is, you know, multiple incidents like this horrible thing that happened a couple weeks ago, you know, at, at Mandalay Bay. Now, I don't know what the security is like, but my guess is, you know, candidly, it, it's just like, 
after 9-11, you have all the security at these airports that, that ramp up. I mean, there was nothing that was going to be going on at some of these airports, you know, in the wake of 9-11. My guess is, as far as security and vacation and spots, I, I don't know that you're going to have a more secure place in Las Vegas. Now, I haven't been there since the incident, so I don't know if the hotels are implementing different things, and I don't know how much the public knows. But I, I guess my answer was, well, I... I mean, I, I like Las Vegas. I, I, I enjoy going to Las Vegas. I, I have fun there for a couple days. And, and yeah, I, I'm not I, – I, to tell you the truth, I haven't given it a second thought because I guess I've always figured that, you know, if you've got a, a crazy person, it, it could happen anywhere. It could happen in Las Vegas. It could happen in Fort Lauderdale. It could happen in Paris. It could happen, you know, in a shopping mall somewhere in central Wisconsin. I mean, it could just – absolutely happen everywhere so i I admit it it just it hadn't occurred to me it just it just hadn't um you know and the the next time there's a show i want to see or it's just hey let's go for a long weekend or something that the fact that you you had this horrible situation a couple weeks ago would not it it wouldn't stop matter of fact it wasn't even on my radar screen yet it was on my friend's radar screen and she's like well gee i you know we'd really like to go with you but i just i don't know that i feel comfortable i have another friend who has made the decision he's not going to be doing any overseas travel for the foreseeable future maybe forever he's like you know i just i'm not sure it's safe in a lot of these foreign countries and and i just i'm i'm not going to go all right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is of course, this is of course the operative question for a place like Las Vegas. And the question is, you know, will will people continue to go or will the shooting out of outside of Mandalay Bay Will that discourage people from making these trips? Because, I mean, the truth is you can travel anywhere you want. When it's vacation travel, you want to be fun. You want to be relaxed. You don't want to be wandering around going, oh, is there some shooter in the 32nd floor of X Hotel that's suddenly going to shoot, start shooting down on the Strip? Now, I, I confess to you, in, in all honesty, this was a horrible tragedy. The fear of this happening again, or at least concerns about, oh, my goodness, could this happen to me if I go there? That's not on my radar screen. But again, my, my friend, who is a very responsible, very rational, wonderful woman, she's like, I just, I don't know that I want to go. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have a conversation about this. Are you, for me, it's just, the issue's a non-starter. I mean, if there's a show I want to see, or next time, you know, we get a couple days off and we decide, hey, th- this spring, let's go to Las Vegas and let's have a little fun, I'm not going to think twice about doing it. But I-, I understand that there might be other people, and it's certainly their prerogative, who feel exactly the other way. Are you hesitant to travel to Vegas or to perhaps some of these other places? London has had three instances of of terrorism over the course of the last six or seven months. Would you be reluctant to go to one of these places? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1016. This is Jeff Wagner. 
It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, honestly, there might be a couple places in the world where at this point in time, as an American, I might be reluctant to go. But I can probably name those places on, you know, one hand or, or, or maybe two. As a general rule, anywhere in the continental U.S. in particular, I, you know, Las Vegas, I'm not afraid to go back there. But it's interesting. I'm talking to my friend yesterday, and she's like, well, I don't know. I'm just I'm a little bit concerned. Um, I think that there might be people like that. I, she said, Jeff, you're really not concerned with going there? I said, no. It's, just, it's, it's again, I just think, I mean, unfortunately, crazy stuff can happen all over. I'm going to San Diego. Uh, the end of the week, we're going to go see a Jimmy Buffett show. My brother and I are going to go visit my niece. We're going to San Diego. I mean, I, I guess, theoretically, something like that could happen there. Am I not going to go to concerts or performers I want to see? Am I not going to travel to some of these spots? Well, no. I just... I, I just I don't think of it. Maybe that's irresponsible. Scott in Kenosha. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Good morning. I'm sorry. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Yeah. We're going to Manly Bay in six weeks. Uh, <laughs> we're staying there. We're not letting some goofball the gun uh, deter our vacation. We right. like it there. The people treat us well, so we're just going. Yeah, I mean it's and, and uh, I mean obviously. It's going to be something that's maybe in the the back of your mind when you check into the hotel or something like that. But but you have you have fun. It's not going to. I assume it's not going to obsess you. You're not going to not walk down the strip or something because there might be some kook up on the you know thirtieth floor or twenty fifth floor of New York, New York, or the MGM or whatever. No, not at all. The only problem that we're worried about is that we're going to be watching. It's a NASCAR parade of champions is that week. So there's going to be 50,000 people between Monte Carlo and uh, Mirage on the Strip on right. Thursday afternoon. Oh, but, right. You know, you keep your eyes open and go with it. I mean, it's not going to affect us at all. Well, right. And my, my guess is, going back to how I started this, my guess is for like a huge event like that, that, that there's probably going to be all sorts of enhanced security when you're checking into the hotel and when you're out on the street that might – that would be the biggest drawback, I guess, because it might be a little bit of an inconvenience. But I, as I was saying earlier, I mean, I my guess is for big events like this, Las Vegas is probably as safe a place to be as anywhere, you know, certainly in the country, because they don't want something like this to happen again. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And we're expecting to get our car checked when we pull in um, to sure. the parking area, but we're going to be in a, we're supposed to be in a, a Jeep Compass. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of, storage area in that you know and you never know who's coming in so we're halfway expecting it but i'd rather be safe than sorry sure right exactly no thanks and my i mean my guess is there's going to be more screening of bags and things like that and you'll probably see an enhanced police presence on the street for some of these big events that are on the strip but again it's if if it's someplace that i want to go i guess my attitude is again unless it's a place that's just you know, you know, there's there's civil war or something going on there. I mean, in, unless it's a if it's a place that I want to go or a place I enjoy going to on a vacation. No, I I just I, I guess I don't think about that. Just to the extent that, I mean, you know, somebody can run through a red light as you're on your way home and hit you. Um, let's see, uh, this is Kyle and Tosa. I will soon be planning a honeymoon with my fiance. If I tell you I don't want to travel to tourist locales because of fear of these kinds of events, I'd also have to tell you that I have a terrible fear of being struck by lightning. The two events are statistically similar. It won't stop me from traveling in the least bit. Ken in Sussex. Ken, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, the wife and I were in Vegas uh, the week before the shooter, and uh, actually that Friday, we were, Friday night, we were down on Fremont Street. We mm-hmm. were down by the hotel 
that uh, the shooter had reservations for, I guess, for that weekend and never showed up. Okay. Uh, we had gone to Mandalay Bay that Friday also, and uh, we saw the venue that they were setting up for the rock concert that right. they were going to have. Uh, but as far as going back there, that's one of my favorite vacation spots. I'd go back in a heartbeat. That this is not going to deter me from going to Las Vegas. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of. I mean, that's sort of how I look at this as well. That that this stuff can again, like I say, it can happen anywhere. And you know why? Why life is short. I mean, if it's a place, look, if you have no interest in going to Las Vegas, I, I get it. But if it's a place that you enjoy for whatever reasons, I mean, life is short. We can't bubble wrap all ourselves. And I, I, I just think, I think, I think it would be terrible if people decide to deny themselves things that they would enjoy or think they would enjoy just because they're afraid of absolutely the worst thing happening. You can't stop living because of one crazy person out there. Right. I mean, Vegas is fantastic. You don't even have to gamble to enjoy yourself. Oh no, no, thank no, thank, thanks for the call. My my wife does. She, you know, we had a great time. She does not gamble, but I mean, she likes the pool. She likes to walk around. She likes the people watch. She likes to go to the shows. She likes some of the restaurants we went to. Yeah, we we had a just had an absolutely you know great time. But again, it's whether it's whether it's Las Vegas or whether it's traveling to Washington D.C. I mean, you can make the same argument. My gosh, if you had if you had a crazy person or you had, I mean, who knows? What one of the scary things I acknowledge about the Vegas thing is we're never going to know what this guy's motive was. I mean, a lot of times you can figure out why it is that somebody did something. This one, I, I don't think we're ever going to actually know definitively. There'll be theories. But uh, but it, it, again, are we, are, you, are we not going to go to New York City? Are you not? If you now, New York doesn't do a lot for me, but a lot of people love to visit New York, you know, going to the Broadway shows. Are you not going to go to Times Square, you know, on if on New Year's Eve, if that's your thing, because you're afraid that that might be some sort of target? Well, no, I mean, just just go do it. Live your life. Don't look. I'm not arguing you should be irresponsible and walk the streets at two thirty in the morning in some high crime area where you're essentially putting a sign around your neck saying, here, rob me. I'm not arguing that. But at the same time, if you want to do stuff that's fun, you know, do it. Just do it. Let's talk to Steve and Racine. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I didn't. I thought of this analogy just now, but I have a handful of friends who are definitely afraid to fly, but they're not afraid to drive their car. And there's an outrageous likelihood that they're going right. to suffer injury or death in their car. Right. Statistically, versus yeah, versus a plane. Yeah. Right. But it's, but it's dramatic. Plane crashes are very dramatic. And when they see it on TV, it looks extremely dramatic, where you don't pay that much attention to a car accident because they happen every day. So I agree, I agree with you. Vegas is a very safe place. There's police and security everywhere in Vegas, and um, it, anything can happen anywhere. Um, you know, Milwaukee has a pretty high murder rate, so does Chicago. Um, what's my likelihood of being involved versus uh, being in a car accident on the way to a Bucks game? I mean, you just, you just yeah. can't, you can't stay at home your whole life and, and fear... Uh, the unknown, um, and yeah. like you said, be safe, pay attention, but um, these places are incredibly safe, uh, and these one-off incidents, as dramatic as they are and as terrible as they are, shouldn't deter you from living your life. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, thanks for calling. You're, you're, I think you're right. That's the, it, it is, it's kind of the the one-off incident, um, which, which makes it going. So in any event, I'm going to work on my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work on my friend. My, as one of my goals is to convince her and her husband to come with us next time we go to Las Vegas. Whether I'm going to be able to succeed in that, 
don't know, but that's that's one of that's one of the conclusions. Because I think that she would have a blast, and I know we would have a blast if they were with us. It's ten twenty-seven. This is Jeff Wagner. It's ten thirty-four. This is Jeff Wagner. Should a father's probation violation prohibit him from being able to donate a kidney to his two-year-old son? That's the circumstances for an Atlanta family. Get the details and react with Scafidi and Billstead twelve thirty-five this afternoon. Okay, Bo Bergdahl. Drew, you remember who's producing the show today and always. You remember Bo Bergdahl? Bo Bergdahl. Oh, you're. Oh, my goodness gracious. This is what happens when you have a young producer. All right. We will drag you kicking and screaming into recent American history. Bo Bergdahl in 2009 was a private first class stationed in eastern Afghanistan. In 2009, he walked off the base. He walked off his base. His story is that he intended to walk from his unit's outpost to a larger base about 18 miles away. His story is he wanted to report what he felt were leadership problems in his unit. He said he wanted to cause a major stir to ensure that he received an audience with a high-ranking officer. So that's his story as to why he deserted his post. Um, His plan wasn't very good because regardless of why he deserted his post, he got lost after walking away from the base in about 20 minutes. He was captured by the Taliban, captured by Taliban militants within hours of disappearing from this remote outpost where he was located, and he was held captive for, for five years by the Taliban. Um, he was he was tortured. Um, he was beat with rubber hoses and copper cables. So I mean, he he was he was tortured. What happened after he got caught was very very terrible. Ultimately, in May of 2014, the Obama administration cut a deal. It was like a prisoner exchange. They didn't want to acknowledge this, but it was there was a quid pro quo. Um, the Taliban released Bergdahl. Um, in exchange for the Obama administration freeing five detainees from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So we we cut a deal. They say they don't do it, but that's precisely what happened. Now, during that, that time, um, he was he was promoted from PFC to to sergeant. And um, the national security advisor for President Obama at the time said that um, Bergdahl had served with honor and distinction. You know, honor and distinction. Now, after Bergdahl walked off and deserted his post, there were several efforts launched to try to rescue him because when an American disappears, an American soldier disappears, you go and you try to find them. Now, Bergdahl said, I had no idea people were going to look for me. I was just a private. I didn't intend that there to be a, a manhunt, but there was a, a manhunt. Um, initial reports suggest that people lost their lives in rescue missions or trying to find him. Now, the Army, after investigations, disputes that. Several people were wounded, um, including a couple seriously, in efforts that um, were designed in part to try to find Bergdahl. But um, nobody apparently, according to this investigation, that, that they've ultimately determined lost their life. But people were injured as they tried to find him. So, all right. And, of course, the other thing about Bo Bergdahl is during the you know presidential campaign, 
uh, candidate Trump, now President Trump, described him as a as a traitor. And then that led to motions, hey, dismiss the court-martial proceedings against him. He can't get a fair trial, et cetera, et cetera. So anyhow, that's where the Bro-Bergdahl case stands. What happened is on Monday, he walked in and in front of the, the military tribunal, he pled guilty to desertion and to endangering the American troops that were sent to search for him. The desertion charge carries a potential five-year sentence. The charge of endangering troops, which was was formerly known as misbehavior before the enemy, carries a potential life sentence. There are going to be you know hearings conducted in the next month or so. We'll take testimony, and the judge will have to decide what to do. The defense, from its perspective, argues, okay, this was this was a guy who was in his mid-20s. He was stupid, but he really isn't a traitor. And he just, you know, made errors in judgment. He got caught, and he, he suffered. He was held in captivity for five years. He was tortured. And essentially, the argument is going to be, he has been punished enough. We, we don't need to do anything more to him. The prosecution is going to argue this is a man who deserted his post, um, who caused huge problems. People got injured in part in efforts to try to find him. And, you know, he ended up, I don't know if the prosecution is going to try to make this point, but we had to release five potential terrorists in order to get this guy back. Yes, you need to punish him and you need to, you know, sentence him to some form of prison. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What should we do with Bo Bergdahl? Has he suffered enough? Is anything to be accomplished by adding an additional prison sentence onto him? Do you sentence him to life in prison? Do you sentence him to five years, ten years? Or do we simply say, okay, this was a guy who was stupid, made a whole series of bad decisions, and paid very dearly for him. My take on this, he needs to be confined, and he needs to be confined for a significant period of time. I don't know if life in prison is called for, but I think certainly, I think certainly at least five years on the desertion charge, you cannot have soldiers walking and abandoning their posts and walking off bases. You cannot do that, and I'm sorry the guy got picked up, it is unfortunate that he was told, you know, as, as a prisoner of the Taliban. But you know what? Um, he's the one that started this whole thing. And apart from being held, you know, again, a, as a prisoner, he committed a crime in the first place. People got injured in their efforts to try to find him. And, and yeah, I think to punish him and to send a message to other soldiers that you can't abandon your unit, you cannot walk off your base, you cannot desert your post. Yeah, I think he needs to be confined for a significant period of time. Maybe not life, but I think at least five years. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is a couple texts. We are at war. He deserted. He should be locked up for life. He should be sharing a cell with Chelsea Manning. Uh, let's see. Lock him up. Yeah, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're talking about Bo Bergdahl. Look, I, I, he walked off his post. He deserted. 
His explanation is, gee, I didn't like the way the, com- the, the commanders on my post were, were running it, so I was going to walk 18 miles in order to you know, report what I thought were leadership problems as unit. In all honesty, I, I'm not sure I buy any of that. I, I just, I'm not sure I buy any of that. That seems like a pretty much, you know, cockamamie story to me. But even if that is his story, that's not how you do things. You do not desert your post. And while it was his bad luck to get captured, you know, 20 minutes into his little, you know, adventure, um, that doesn't change the fact that he deserted. And yes, I think he needs to be locked up. 414-799-1620. Larry in Fond du Lac. Larry, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yes. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Larry. I, hi. I'm a, I'm a 28-year-old or a 28-year veteran of the, National, of the Marine Corps. And I see this as even in boot camp, young folk are shown and told how to go up the chain of command, if things aren't working, how to work them out. I don't really take it as an excuse. And there was significant uh, sacrifice yep. by other troops to, to, to help this man. Uh, I believe he deserves, if he doesn't get life, which I wouldn't even, I wouldn't be, I'd say it would be all right for what he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, years ago they used to hang you for it, but I, obviously we don't do that anymore. But I think he needs really to learn a lesson, and it also shows uh, any other any other troops, Marines, sailors, soldiers that you know, if you do this, there's going to be a punishment for it. Well, you know, um, well, he says, Larry, that he had he had no idea that this would be that big a deal. He was shocked, shocked that the military order um, organized efforts to try to find him. He says, after I was just a private, who thought they'd come look for me? Well, you know, that's a lie too, because. Um, you know, obviously, I didn't serve in the army or, or whatever, but I know the Marine Corps, the army. You don't leave anybody behind. Yeah, you just don't do it. And people know that from privates. That is stuck right into your head. We never leave anybody behind. Well, yeah. If, so, if all of a sudden somebody is gone from the post, um, you know, and you're in this, this hostile situation, you really think that people aren't going to look for you? I mean, that that was just my reaction. Again, as a civilian, you, you who thinks that people are? Of course, you're going to come look for somebody if they've gone. You're, you know, it, it, you know, that's just what the military does. Yeah, absolutely. You see, the, the whole thing stinks. Um, Obama, I don't even want to go into that. Uh, I, I don't know how he could do uh, what he did with that. But uh, I think for the for for those of us that have really served our country, we need to see this man punished. Yeah. And, you know, I know folk don't like to hear about someone being punished anymore, but the fact it remains, he needs to... to he was caught by the, you know, he was a POW. That was his own fault. Uh, that had oh, yeah. uh, nothing to do with us. And the sacrifices that, that those young men and women had to make to try to save his backside, uh, I, I, yeah. to me, it's just inexcusable. I'm right, no, sorry. No, I, I no, just can't see it. No, thanks for calling, and thank you for your service, Larry. And I mean that sincerely. Yes, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the same way. To me, there, there's two different issues. The fact that he was captured by the Taliban, that he was essentially held as a hostage, the fact that he was tortured, that that is unfortunate, but that is a result of the decision that he made to desert his post. 
and I think he has to be held accountable for that. And th- this idea that, well, because, if nothing else, from the perspective of the military, you, you can't allow people to think that you can just walk off your post. And again, I'm not sure I buy the whole story as to why he walked off the post. There's all sorts of ways that you can that you can complain about stuff. And his story is, I was going to walk 18 miles. I mean, re- really, maybe the next time you're off of your you know, post and you're on the main base or something, maybe that's when you try to you know, make, your, make your thing, and that's when you try to go up the chain of command. So I, his story, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. It just, it just doesn't. Maybe that's the case, but I don't care what his motivation was. He walked off his post. He deserted his comrades, and that in and of itself, I think, calls for him to go to prison. Glenn in Milwaukee. Glenn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. I'm a veteran of Vietnam, and I'll tell you, for us, when we went through basic training, they told us that it was the firing squad if you deserted. Mm-hmm. Um, you look, there was even a movie made, Firing of uh, Private Slovak, mm-hmm. in which he deserted nope. his post. Yeah, World War II, yep. yep. Right. Now, there's no excuse, no excuse whatsoever for not going up your chain of command if you've got a problem. Every one of us had a problem. I mean, if we all deserved our post every time we had a problem, Hell, we wouldn't have had anybody in Vietnam. Right. I mean, none of us even wanted to be there. So, this is ridiculous. He needs to get life imprisonment. Okay, you, you put him in prison for life. Does Absolutely. The, does the fact that he was captured and tortured, would you cut him any slack because of that? He was captured and tortured because of his own decisions. Yep. No slack whatsoever. If one of us had gotten caught by Viet Cong. <laughs> yeah. Look at, look at uh, Senator uh, McCain, what they did to him. Right. You know? Um, and there's no proof that this guy was tortured. I mean, there's no physical evidence that he was tortured. Yeah. No, I think he, I, well, thanks for calling. I mean, and by the way, thank you for your service as well, Glenn, um, and to all the Vietnam veterans and all the other veterans, but in particular, this case, the, you know, Vietnam veterans who, um, made such sacrifices. The uh, reason I was thinking about that is my, um, my, um, step granddaughter is in Washington, D.C., and I'm thinking, I, it just, that, that's great. If you ever get a chance to, whenever I'm in Washington, D.C., I always go to, I make a point of going to the Vietnam Veterans Wall. And even though I was a little bit too young for the Vietnam War, um, I, I older brothers of friends and stuff you know served, and a couple people didn't come back. Um, it's just it, the amazing sacrifice, which is why this is an infuriating story. It, it just is. I mean, I don't know how much of this guy's story now is true, or is this kind of concocted in an effort to try to put him in the most favorable position possible. I do know, though, you don't walk off your base. You you just don't do that. And, you know, there's never going to be a justification for that, even if he's ending up telling the truth. And I think the result is, again, like I say, I think he needs to be confined I, I at least five years and, and probably more, but certainly at least five years on the desertion charge. Anything else, I think, would be an outrage. It's 1052. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1055. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I think today may be a turning point 
in the Republican Senate primary race. Tammy Baldwin is finishing up her first term. Tammy Baldwin is arguably one of the three or four most liberal U.S. senators. A former congresswoman out of Madison. She's already come out in favor of single-payer health insurance. If there is a tax increase to be had, Tammy Baldwin would be all about that. Right now, there are two Republicans that are challenging her. One is Leah Vukmir, long-standing state senator from the Brookfield area. Um, the other is sort of an insurgent, and they've both been on my program. Um, Kevin Nicholson, who is a, a businessman, um, former U.S. Marine veteran. He also, I mean, his story is when he was in college, he was a he was a Democrat, big-time Democratic activist. His story is my, my ideas have modified and changed over the years. Now I am a, an ultra-conservative, and in some respects it's a compelling story. Some people think that he's an opportunist. Other people think he's the real thing. He's got a couple big financial supporters, people who have put a ton of money behind him in in some of these super PACs. Now, let me just say at the beginning, I, I, I think I want whoever has the best chance to beat Tammy Baldwin to come through this. And candidly, from the perspective of the Republicans, the best thing that would happen is that one of these two candidates drop out. Because what happened last time, as you will remember six years ago, there was a very contested four-way Republican primary. Tommy Thompson, the former governor, ended up winning it. What happened, though, is the Republicans, all of them spent all their money running against each other, and, and there wasn't any money. So after the primary election, Tammy Baldwin goes on the air and spends millions and millions of dollars and Governor Thompson, in the case, didn't have any money to respond, and Tammy Baldwin ends up winning. I do not want to see the two Republican candidates essentially destroy themselves and then, again, be in a position where there's nobody that has the wherewithal to take on Tammy Baldwin. Okay, so that that's number one. I would like to see there a consensus here. Steve Bannon. Everybody knows Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is, I don't think he's a Republican. He's the conservative, the Breitbart flamethrower, who was one of the President Trump's early advisors, who was, you know, part of the administration and then kind of flamed out. And now he's trying to be a kingmaker. Um, Steve Bannon and his, his group, the, the giant super PAC, the pro-Trump super PAC, uh, tied to Steve Bannon, they, they came out yesterday and they have endorsed Kevin Nicholson. He sent out a tweet saying the Steve Bannon primary in Wisconsin is over and Kevin Nicholson has won. I'm humbled by this huge endorsement. So we're, we're now drawing the dividing lines here. You have Leah Vukmir, who is a, a, a very, very well-known conservative who's been around and is known to Republican activists for a long time. And now you have you know, Kevin Nicholson, who has decided to get in bed with Steve Bannon and take the money and take the endorsement. Obviously, he thinks that that's going to help him. I, I would like to see the candidates, again, come together and, and one emerge if Steve, if Kevin Nicholson thinks that in Wisconsin, the Steve Bannon endorsement is going to be what puts him over the top, I think he is going to be sadly, 
sadly mistaken. I'm not sure Steve Bannon and his endorsement, they might want the money, but I'm not sure the endorsement is going to play as well as he thinks. Actually, I think it's got the potential to backfire in a big way. And I think uh, with this endorsement, interestingly, I think Leo Vukmir becomes the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to this uh, primary race. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620. So glad to have you with us. All right. There are a number of mayors across the city, across the country, who are beginning to ring the same alarm bells that I've been ringing for the last couple weeks. I think we need to have tax reform in this country. I think we need to have a tax system which is simpler, fairer, easier to understand. You, you should not, for the average American, you should not need to have to hire accountants to, to do your, your tax returns. I, I get all that, but in the effort to try to promote fair tax return reform, I, I think the devil is in the details. Now, one of the things that Paul Ryan, who I'm a fan of Paul Ryan's and President Trump have been talking about, is any sort of tax reform we do has to be revenue neutral. In other words... Um, the, the the taxes have to balance. So if we make tax cuts that reduce the tax responsibility of some Americans, you have to have to be corresponding tax increases to, to balance that out. So there are going to be winners and losers. And the question becomes, who is the winner? Who is the loser? One of the things that they are talking about doing, and a centerpiece of the Republican tax strategy is to do away with if you itemize your taxes it is to do away with your ability to deduct state income tax and to deduct property tax you pay now in wisconsin we live in a high property tax state we have all sorts of stuff that's on the property tax a lot of states They use other ways to do it. We also live in a moderately high state income tax state. So one of the – there's not many advantages of living in a high property tax state and a high state income tax state. But one of the advantages is at the end of the year, you get to deduct – if you itemize, you get to deduct the amount of taxes that you pay – for your federal income tax, you get to deduct the amount you pay to the state and local governments. This essentially, it's also a way of avoiding what they call double taxation. Because if you don't get to deduct your property taxes and your state taxes, you are essentially being taxed twice. You are being taxed by the federal government on the amount of money that you've paid in tax to the state and local government. Right. So it's this whole concept of, of double taxation. You're paying taxes on if you take away the ability to deduct that you are paying taxes on the taxes that you are paying. See, um, the Republicans, or at least some are going to say, OK, well, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to it'll all even out in the wash, because what we'll do is we're going to increase the standard deduction. You know, right now the standard deduction is like twelve thousand seven hundred bucks. We are going to increase that. All right. Well, that would definitely, if you are somebody who lives in a state that doesn't have a state income tax or doesn't have big property taxes, that's going to be a huge benefit to you. 
you are going to get more money back in all likelihood. If, however, you live in a state where there's high property taxes and high state taxes, this, you know, you got to put pen to paper. But I'm looking at this story. For example, there's the mayor of Anaheim, California. And Anaheim, California is one of these sort of high-tax states. You know, what he's saying is that, you know, for his residents in his zip codes, they estimate that for a family of four, with an adjusted gross income of $5,200, they would end up paying almost 3000 more in state taxes, in, in taxes, if they lost the ability to have these deductions. On top of all this, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but if you take away the ability of people to deduct, you, you need a certain amount of deductions before you can itemize, right? If you take away the ability of people to deduct state taxes and property taxes that's a pretty big chunk for a lot of people together with mortgage interest i mean those are the three big things that give them the ability to itemize you take away property taxes and you take away the ability to deduct state taxes and then you're 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 probably for a lot of people you're not going to have enough to be able to itemize so that means charitable deductions aren't going to get itemized. So to the extent that um, some people make charitable gifts with the idea, hey, at least hey, if I go and I, I give a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff to Goodwill or to whatever, um, or I donate some money to the church, at least I'm going to be able to write this off. Well, in many cases, for the average middle class family, because you've lost the ability, if you follow me, to deduct your state or your property taxes, that those other deductions you're not going to have enough to deduct anyways. So, I mean, I think it's also going to hurt charitable giving. Now, again, the devil is in the details, and you have to sit down with pen and paper and figure out what your particular situation is. My guess is for a lot of middle-class families who own homes, losing the ability to deduct your state and your um, and your property taxes, I think in Wisconsin, we're going to end up being net losers. Like I say, it's, it's going to help some people, and particularly some of the lower-income people who either are renters or who don't pay much in property tax or don't have the income for state tax. Yeah, doubling the standard deduction is probably going to help. But for a lot of the middle-class families, the people who you know are making fifty and sixty and $70,000 a year and who count on those various deductions – I think I think it's quite likely that we might be net losers for the middle class in Wisconsin, which is why I think we need to be really careful with this. And, and this, to me, is just not getting anywhere near the attention that I think it deserves. 414, one segment, and I know I, I've, I've talked about this once or twice before, and I was asking Congressman Glenn Grothman about this when I interviewed him last week, and he said, yeah, I mean, it's it, this is definitely a possibility. I want to see the numbers, and I want to see how all these numbers work out. I want to see tax reform. Get, don't get me wrong. But I, I think if tax reform is going to come at the expense of middle-class homeowners in the state of Wisconsin, then I think we need to kind of go slow on this. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There will be winners and losers. Don't, don't get me wrong. There will be winners and losers. I'm just afraid under this proposal, 
you will have a lot of the losers will end up being middle class working Wisconsin families who are owning who own their own homes and who count on the ability to deduct their property taxes and their state income tax as a way of getting some tax relief. I also, in addition to wondering what this is going to do to charitable donations, if now people you know, don't get an incentive to itemize and you take away that ability for them to do it, I also wonder what stuff like this does to the real estate market. One of the things that you say, okay, you, you want to buy a house, all right, yeah, I understand there's all these expenses and all these things that go with the houses, but but here's... Here's, you know, where where it goes. You at least get some of it back. You've got that incentive because you can deduct your property taxes. Take that away. And does it make what is it? it and does it effectively make a home less affordable? Um, you know, so you, you you buy a home and there's a six thousand dollar property tax, let's say, for the sake of argument. Um, you lose your ability to deduct that. You know, how is that going to affect you? Now, again, it's going to be different from in different individuals, but. This is not a clear-cut thing. And before we go down this route, and before Wisconsin congressmen jump on board, I think they need to have a really clear answer as to how this is going to affect the average Wisconsinite in Racine County or, you know, in Bayfield County or in Appleton or in Brown County or in Milwaukee County or Waukesha or Washington County or Ozaki County. How is this going to affect the average homeowner who does at this point in time have enough money to have enough deductions to itemize? Um, let's let's start with Sam and McHenry. Sam, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Well, let's do a little history here. Do you remember when Al Gore was running against George W. Bush and he called his tax plan targeted tax cuts? Right. And George Bush walked in and asked people one simple question: Who who in this room is paying taxes? And everybody screamed and hollered, and he said, "Under my plan." Everybody's getting their taxes cut. He was on his way to the White House. Correct? Right, right, yep. You know, Paul Ryan, I'm extremely disappointed in him right now because he, for years, going back to the Bush years, has been talking about cutting taxes, growing the economy, getting people back to work, and that will bring down the national debt. That has been his platform. Now he's into this shell game. He's calling his little shell game Revenue neutral. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, right. Re- revenue neutral means winners and losers. There's no question about that. Re- yeah. We're going to pick and, and choose. Yep. And he's, he's, his attention now seems to be totally on making sure the government continues to get all this money. He's afraid to put his idea to work that we will grow our way out of this mess. And he's just taking the same route the Democrats go down let's just raise taxes let's shuffle the peanuts around under the you know the right. shell and let's see who catches on to it right as opposed to just, just let's let, let's cut spending why does it have to be revenue neutral why can't we cut taxes and cut spending and make it revenue neutral in that fashion and again this is i, I mean you, you've got to You've got to figure this out. The, the, the flip side, and I want to be fair to this plan, it increases the standard deduction. It, it, it does. And, but, but my question is going to be, I understand just intellectually off the top of my head, I understand that will, how that would help the lowest income taxpayers who don't pay that much in taxes to begin with. I understand how that would help them. 
My question is exactly the one that the mayor in Anaheim is asking. Take a sixty thousand. Take somebody who makes sixty five thousand dollars a year who owns you know one hundred and seventy five thousand or two hundred thousand dollar house who itemizes because of the property tax and because of the state tax they pay and because of their charitable reductions and because of their medical expenses. How much for that person? For that person, what are, are their taxes? Are going to go up? Or are they going to go down? And then extrapolate that out. What about the person that makes the family that makes 80000 What about the person that makes 100000 You know, and, and look at the average value of the homes. Figure this type of thing out to figure out who the winners and losers are going to be. And then let's at least have an honest conversation about it. But I tell you, seriously, when I hear stuff like this, when it comes to taking away the deductions that middle-class Wisconsinites use on a regular basis i wonder is this in our interest and then what's going to like i say what is going to be the effect on charitable giving if all of a sudden people who one of the motivations in you know giving some extra money to the church or or doing whatever is the fact that you can deduct that if you lose the ability to deduct it, not because the federal government has said you can't deduct taxes, any charitable deductions anymore, but because if you can't deduct your property taxes or your state income taxes, it doesn't matter if you can deduct your mortgage expense. It doesn't matter if you can deduct your charitable expenses. It's not going to get you over the standard deduction, if you see what I mean. Tread carefully here. That's all I'm saying. It's 1121. It is 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Should the Packers sign the controversial Colin Kaepernick? Based on football statistics, it can be argued that they'd be wise to consider it. Doug Russell breaks down the numbers in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. Yeah, check that out. Then you then you email Doug and tell him what you think about that particular idea. I know he'd be glad to hear from you. We were talking about that earlier as part of our three big things. Um, personally, I think for a variety of reasons, I think if I were the Packers, I would I would do what Mike McCarthy is apparently going to do. Just say no. Okay, we have um, we have a number of extremely thoughtful texts on this whole question of of it. And again, I I think what you have to do when you're talking about this tax reform and, and winners and losers is you have to put pencil to paper. And figure out, you know, how are people going to benefit and what is the impact of, of this going to be? And it may be for a lot of people, again, doing away, increasing the standard deduction and doing away with itemized deductions for middle class folks will, will in fact help them out. I just, I'm very, very skeptical of that. And then what is the other effect? If you can't itemize anymore, you know, is that going to impact on charitable giving? And what's it going to do to the values of homes? Uh, Lisa and Wind Lake texts. This will make home ownership obsolete, creating a giant rental pool, creating a surf system. Someone has to own all those properties that are rented. Tax cuts taking us back to the dark ages. That might be a little bit extreme, but, you know, um, I, I think it's definitely something to see this. Justin texts, I see this as particularly adversely affecting middle class income singles in Wisconsin, whose increase in the federal standard deduction from about six thousand to about twelve thousand will certainly not make up for the lost state tax deductions yeah that's the the standard deduction for singles six a little over i had the number here six grand a little bit over sixty three hundred i think um taking that to twelve thousand again um in a high property state tax state 
Um, you know, I when you look at state taxes and you look at the property taxes, my guess is you're going to end up losing out. But again, it's something that you have to figure out, and that's one of the reasons why I say I, I think you need to go really slowly on this. And I, I do appreciate what our last caller Sam's point was. What, whatever happened to the idea of let's cut taxes? I mean, I, I appreciate the revenue neutral aspect of this. Why do you have to increase taxes on some to do that? I mean, why don't we just say, all right, we're we're going to impose this different type of, of tax relief. Um, yeah, we're going to double the standard deduction. That's great. But at the same time, why then do we have to turn around and take away the ability of people who live in high tax states like us to be able to itemize? I mean, why don't. Why do we have to raise revenue in that fashion? Why don't we cut spending to give people the, the choice? I mean, just saying, is that really that outlandish? All right. Got a lot of stuff before the program ends, including outrage over the wall, but not the type of wall that you think, and the war on America's dairy land. It's all coming up. Stick around. It's 1127. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What a start to our WTMJ Cares campaign presented by First Bank Financial Center. Thanks to your generosity, Rides and Rains will not have to close its doors. Now in the final week, we're continuing the push to heat their barns so the kids can take advantage of the opportunity year-round. For more info or to donate, just text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620 and be listening for our Radiothon this Thursday starting at 830. Yeah, I'm off. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm out of town Thursday and Friday, but uh, they're going to do a Radiothon, I think, from 830 until 10, uh, maybe even earlier during part of Wisconsin's morning news. So it's going to be very exciting. So um, that's great. Check that out. All right. America's Dairyland. We are America's Dairyland because, well, in part, because it says so on our license plates. We are, you know, uh, you know, you got some some states they have different mottos or slogans. You got "Live Free or Die." We are America's Dairyland, and that slogan has been on Wisconsin license plates since World War II. All right, yesterday. The executive director of WMC, Wisconsin's Manufacturers and, you know, Commerce. Um, and, and WMC is a very, very good group, okay? Good group. Um, they advance business interests. I'm a huge fan of, of this. But um, here's the deal. At apparently a luncheon yesterday, the head of WMC said, maybe it's time to move Wisconsin into the 21st century. And that could start with an image makeover. Um, and maybe, you know, we, we've got Foxconn coming. There's going to be this huge, you know, multi-billion dollar investment. It's here. Maybe it's time for us to say, okay, let's, let's do away with America's Dairyland. Let's figure out something else. Maybe instead of calling Wisconsin America's Dairyland, we could use the state uh, motto forward on that. And um, the head of WMC says to me, forward connotes resolve, indomitability, and progress. Not a bad image to project to the rest of the world. Now, of course, um, America's Dairyland, and that slogan reflects Wisconsin's longstanding leadership in the U.S. dairy industry. State ranks first nationally in cheese production, second um, in milk production behind California. Um, milk, 
huge impact in Wisconsin. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just because we have always done something doesn't mean that you always have to do it in the future. It's kind of like when I look at, at old buildings sometimes, and there's people that come out and say, okay, we're we're going to tear down this, this older building. And people say, oh, you can't tear down the older building. It's been around forever, and it's and it's historic. Well, no, sometimes it's not historic. A lot of times it's, it's just old, and it's served its purpose, and it's time to move on. So I think we have to be you know, kind of open-minded about this. Um, the head of WMC says that Foxconn is a mega opportunity. So let's tee this up. Is it time to stop? using the slogan, America's Dairyland, and maybe move on to something like, I don't know, forward or something else. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not one of these guys who says that you have to be stuck in the past. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But you know what? As somebody who has lived in Wisconsin for most of my life, I think... I think America's Dairyland differentiates us from other states in a way that generic type of things like forward um, just don't do. And I think when you see America's Dairyland on a license plate, it brings to mind, you know, an important industry in Wisconsin. And honestly, I, I don't think changing it to forward is a good idea. And I'm not sure I can think of anything that I think would be better. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. All right. America's Dairyland. Is it time to put that slogan? Is it time to retire it? I'm not convinced that that's the case, but I'm willing to discuss it. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1140. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Wisconsin's, the license plates have said, America's Dairyland since World War II. It is something that I think defines us and distinguishes the state. The head of WMC, who is a very a great guy, great guy, they have this big speed, they have this big luncheon um, yesterday in Madison, and he says, well, you know, here, and, and WMC, very, very powerful, um, advancing, you know, business interests and stuff, so when, when they talk, you, you listen. He says, I think it's time to do away with America's Dairyland. Get them off, get that off the license plates. Let's go with maybe the state motto, forward, or something like that, that reflects well, okay, not like the 20th century, hey, we, we're cheeseheads and, you know, we've got the milk industry and that, but rather reflects, hey, we're vital, we've got Foxconn, we've got all these things coming in. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Glenn in Glendale. Glenn, you're first. Good morning. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Glenn. What do you think? You know, Jeff, I think we should keep the farm on the plate and add technology. We can't just diff the farmers and what they've done to the state of Wisconsin for so many years, and they still are. This is not in the past. We're still producing milk and still producing cheese and doing a great job, and the farmers are working hard at it. Let's just add technology, and then we can take care of people like Fox. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, like, add to it, because you've got room on the plate to, to do yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, and my only fear, Glenn, is is once you turn this over to, like, the PR people and stuff, you end up getting things like, we're not going to be the Marquette Warriors, we're going to be the Marquette Gold or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's no reason why they need to take away 
what we've enjoyed so many years uh, in Wisconsin, and that is a dairy land agriculture. Right. And, and, uh, and just add to the plate uh, very significantly technology, because Wisconsin is moving uh, towards that. But yeah. we're also still a great leader in agriculture. Yeah, no, I think, thanks again. See, now, I'm trying to think here now. I, well, okay, thanks for the call, Glenn. I appreciate it quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think of, okay, now, see, I don't get paid the type of money. You will obviously, if they go down this route, you will have consultants that will be paid millions of dollars to come up with the, these ideas. And in general, the ideas are probably going to suck. But let's say, okay, America's Dairyland and Technology Hub, something like that. You know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I do think America's Dairyland is, is it's just it's part of our identity. And I would hate to see it go away. And I actually agree with Glenn that there should be some way, if you feel that it is necessary to, uh, again, on the license plates, be more inclusive and be more forward-thinking. See, forward to me is just too vague. I mean, I, I understand as a state motto, it, it's, it's too vague. You put the word forward on license plates, and everybody's going to look at it, Wisconsin, forward. It's going to be, what, don't they drive in reverse in Wisconsin? I mean, people are going to think it's going to be referring to driving. They're, they're not going to get the, this other stuff. Now, I understand in some of the states it's the motto, you know, like you got live free or die on the on the license plates and what is that, New Hampshire and, you know, some of these other things. But but America's dairy land at least is identifiable, and I don't think you want to take that off the license plates. Okay, let's see. Mike and Fond du Lac texts. I think we need to be open-minded about the phrase used on the license plates in Wisconsin. I agree America's dairy land promotes the important industry in Wisconsin. However, I think it also creates a stereotypical view of Wisconsin as simply a rural state that has nothing but farms and cows. I think we see that on TV and other references. Uh, you know, maybe. Okay, Kim says, uh, let's see, where farmers and techies meet. Hmm, got to think that one through. Um, what if they make a special manufacturing plate, give people the option to choose? Um, here's uh, another one. How about we are taxed to death? Yeah, see, that's the problem. You open you open this up, and, and everybody's got their, their different ideas a- about this. That's why, again, I'm not hidebound to tradition. I'm not this guy that says just because you've always done something one way means that you have to, to do it. Also, I'm not this guy that says, okay, just because you make a change, if something makes more sense, maybe you go back to, to what you were doing originally. That's I'm I'm all I'm down with that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty Pete in Green Bay. Pete, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Is it time to do away with America's dairy land? manufacturing and such, it, it is important. Uh, one of the things that I thought was a little, uh, you, hit, you hit the point, someone's going to spend millions of dollars <laughs> to have a bunch of PR people spin around in circles and come up with goofy things. <laughs> right, the, um, hence the Marquette Gold, yeah, <laughs> or, or New Coke, or, or whatever, yeah. This yeah. is going to be a good idea, Marquette Gold, huh? Yeah. Yeah, there you are. So no. my thought is, you know, given our budget, Given, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to pay for roadways and infrastructure and a lot of other things, is it really an appropriate time? You know, maybe that's a good idea 
put it on the shelf, um, and then down the road, uh, dust it off and, and do it when we can afford it. But is, is this really fiscally responsible? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, again, thanks, thanks. I mean, it get depends. I mean, it depends on how that you would would have to go ahead and and do this. And I, I, I'm I'm with you. If spending one dime of taxpayer dollar on the dollars on this one dime would be too much. So if there could be some sort, of, but if there could be some sort of consensus on this, and you could come up with some great idea again to figure out how to to meld this stuff together. Then I'd at least be open to it, and of course, you know everybody. Everybody is very critical of these things, and you're never going to get consensus. But at the same time, I don't know. Sometimes there is a value to tradition. Uh, let's talk to Mike in Northern Wisconsin. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my thought is engineering the future. It covers every industry in the state, and we have some great engineering schools. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, no, I'd, I'd have to think that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, got to think that one through. I mean, th- thanks for the call. Engineering, how about engineering the future in America's dairy land? Uh, there's only, I guess, so much room on the plate. Uh, we can't say mining the future, of course, because that will drive. We, we haven't allowed mining in this state for a long period of time, even though the miners appear on the state flag. Don't get me started on that. Lynn in Franklin. Lynn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um we just came back from Michigan uh, a while back, and they have several different plates there. So I don't know why we don't offer an option of having, you know, keeping the one that, that we have um, and then offering another one, perhaps. Um, you know, there are other plates out there, like supporting, like, Children's Hospital or yeah. the Packers. I mean, just offer a different plate. With, like, different, with the different slogans on them and stuff Correct. and let people yeah. pick and, and, and choose. And definitely keep the the dairy land because that's who we are. I mean, I like that image. Right. Well, I mean, I think it it, it does. It, it it maybe it's a little bit antiquated, but it does at least distinguish us. I mean, people. And I guess I don't know when I hear America's dairy land, I don't necessarily think that that doesn't mean that we don't have technology and things like right. that. I mean, it's right. I, I don't know necessarily think that it's exclusive. I got thanks. I see this is an interesting thing, and I'm now getting swamped with texts from people who are. Offering different suggestions, about a third of which are amusing, but I can't even begin to read on the radio because I, I, I will be in one meeting or another, you know, or it will be <laughs> several of them are funny. But I mean, Grusey, this is it. This is where you will learn that I'm very good after going on after doing a radio show in this market for 20 some odd years. I'm very good at self-censoring because people are sending me these texts and they're making me smile. But I'm thinking no, if I read that one, even though I could read it on the radio, bad idea. Just just a bad idea. <laughs> beer, beer, and more beer. <laughs> Wisconsin, boy, beer, beer, and more beer. Um, uh, yeah, that's no, uh, no, 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 no. I just we're, we're going to exercise some restraint in there. All right. Speaking of of restraint, switching gears here. This happens every Halloween. Um, you have the the different. Now, part of the Halloween, the whole idea of a Halloween costume, part of it is to be fun, and part of it is to be outrageous. And, and one of the things that we, we we now have this crackdown on Halloween costumes, because everybody's politically correct, and if you have this costume or that costume, you know, somebody's going to be offended. And I understand that there, there are some 
there's some Halloween outfits that I think we would all genuinely agree across the line. You, if, if you're a white person, you don't show up in blackface. Okay, we, we get that. If you're, uh, if you're a white person or a black person, you don't go dressed to a Halloween party like as the stereotypical, you know, Aunt Jemima character or something like that. We all get that. But, but with moving aside from that, there are, there's always these Halloween costumes that kind of push the envelope. And, and, and I always, that's kind of the fun of Halloween to see how creative people's costumes can, can be. And this idea that if we're going to be politically correct and nobody's going to be offended, well, then everybody's going to end up going as nurses and, and firefighters and things like that. Here is the, the, the costume that has outraged some. Um, Party City, which is one of the, the big Halloween costume outfitters, they have a costume that has come out. Um, on, it's one of their adult costumes. It's called the Adult Wall Costume. And, and what what it is, is it's, if, if you can picture Fred Flintstone, you know, think back to the Flintstones, and they wore, you know, like in the caveman days, they wore what I presume was like a fur, you know, the, the thing over their, their shoulders and the open arms and stuff. The wall is something that looks like something Fred Flintstone would wear, except it's got, like, bricks in it, um, and it, it's called the, the wall. Um, many, many people are buying this. Um, the problem is a lot of people are offended. You know, build a wall. Um, you know, this, this is terrible. You know, if, if anyone is wearing a wall costume, um, fair warning, you are getting punched. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a racist costume, all those different types of things. Some people say it's, it's designed for Pink Floyd's The Wall. No, it's not. I mean, it's, it's Donald Trump. You go as the wall. And a lot of the politically correct and the perpetually offended are, ups, are upset. I, um, would I dress like this? No. But my guess is this is going to be a big seller. Just saying. It's 1154. This is Jeff Wagner, Scafidi, and Bill Statter in next. We'll find out what they have on their minds. Please stick around.